time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, December 18th. Time does fly, doesn't it? What is it, like six, seven days until Christmas? It'll be here before we know it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this has been a busy, busy, busy time for us. You know, yesterday, I forgot to play the part about uh, from TBN, uh, John, uh, J- uh, Paul, Paul Crouch from TBN. I forgot to play what he thought Johnny Mac was missing. Johnny Mac, that's the f- loving name that we give to uh, John MacArthur. And uh, before I forget, because apparently this is more proof that I'm just getting old, man. <laughs> you know, I don't how I don't know how else to describe it except for to say that uh, when it comes to the memory department, the, certain things are starting to slip. You know, it's like it's like you ever have you ever have a car that's transmission isn't quite working right. Oh uh, yeah, I've had that. You, yeah. you know, so when you're driving your car and, and it goes from first to second and and it does the shimmy sound it goes. You know, I think the same thing's starting to happen with my brain. My uh, my transmission is slipping. So uh, anyway, I, I said I was going to play this yesterday and <clears throat> the transmission slipped and. It fell through the cracks. And so uh, I thought this was kind of interesting and a little bit bizarre. So we'll, we'll lead off the uh, the program with this. Uh, this is uh, what Paul Crouch from Trinity Broadcasting Network says that uh, is missing in John MacArthur's ministry. Are you ready? Here we go. This is Paul Crouch on John MacArthur. Uh, John MacArthur is one of the finest preachers. And this, I heard him preach at a marriage prayer breakfast that just brought the house down. He is a precious man of God. He just needs to be overwhelmed by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so there it is. Uh, I know it was a little tough to hear uh, just because the audio quality wasn't that great. But you got Paul Crouch basically claiming that uh, John MacArthur is a gifted preacher of God, but he needs to be overwhelmed by the Holy Ghost. And uh, I will not be happy till I see John MacArthur slain in the spirit, speaking in another tongue. So he wants to see John MacArthur slain in the spirit, writhing around on the floor, and uh, speaking in tongues. Yeah, there's not a snowball's chance in hell of that ever happening. Seriously. Ay, 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 ay. As if that's some kind of sign or some, you know, I've lost complete control of my body. It's called a seizure. You know, you want to, you want a a Holy Ghost seizure. That's what John MacArthur needs is a Holy Ghost seizure and and for him to speak in other tongues. I don't think so. Anyway, I just had to play that. (laughs) All right. We got uh, some news stories. This is an interesting news story. Um. In fact, let me let me uh, cue up the uh, the news update music. Here. Please do, yeah, because it's 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 a tradition here at Fighting for the Faith. It's newsy. It's newsy. Here we go. All right, this is from the Orange County Register. Saddleback pastor to give invocation at inauguration. Now, this is an interesting story. Okay, 
And the reason why it's interesting, because remember, back before, during the time of the election, when we were deciding, we were trying to figure out who we were going to vote for. Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback Church invited Barack Obama and uh, and John McCain to Saddleback at, for the Saddleback Civil Forum. You know, on you know, so in order for them to speak, not in a debate and be combative, but to give him an opportunity to speak for an hour about the things that are passionate about them. He asked them the same questions, and who was the big winner? Rick Warren. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Rick Warren was the big winner. Now this is interesting because. This is one of those uh, situations where um, it, depending on who you're asking in the media, it, th- there are there are stories all over the place about uh, Rick Warren uh, to deliver the uh, uh, the invocation at Obama's inauguration. And here's the deal: conservatives are really upset about this. Liberals are really upset about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those ones where um, this is a catch twenty two for poor Rick Warren because uh, he's be, you know if he does this everyone's going to hate him. <laughs> it's like and, and and oddly enough I'm you know I'm going to say I'm not exactly bent out of shape about it because the scriptures tell us to pray for our our leaders, you know, and so a Christian can in good conscience. Pray for an elected leader, but you know maybe that's not what's happening here. Maybe I'm just being naive. I don't know. Uh, so from the Orange County Register, the story reads: Lake Forest, California. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church's pastor, will deliver the invocation for President Barack Obama in inauguration, in, uh, a historic honor. One church associate said on January 20th, uh, Warren, founder of the 22,000 strong Lake Forest-based church, will be part of a program that includes a benediction by the Reverend Joseph E. Uh, Lowry, co-founder with the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. of the Southern. Uh, Christian Leadership Conference officials said Wednesday, religious peers and local politicians looked at the influence uh, evangelicals are having on government and business. It's pretty amazing that this person has become such a uh, spokesperson for the evangelical movement, said Kurt Fredrickson. See, I think that's where the real story is, is that Rick Warren has really become a a spokesperson for evangelicals. He's, um, in a sense, becoming like the de facto leader of evangelicalism, which I don't think is a good thing because... He warped scripture like no nothing else. I mean, and you know what's funny is is that my first reaction to this headline was, "Oh yeah, that's <laughs> typical." You know, knowing Rick Warren, it, it makes perfect sense that Rick Warren would be the one doing this. You know, anyway. Um, okay, director of the ministry program at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, where Warren received his Doctor of Ministry degree and was recently recognized for his work. It represents a new face of evangelism. Uh, a new face of evangelists, he said, is not simply let, let's let hear the gospel and get ready for heaven. It's let's make the world a better place. Well, that's a problem. Okay. Uh, you know, I swear people don't understand good works. In fact, today in the program, we're going to be talking about good works and uh, it, what is a good work. It, this came up. Somebody sent me. A, I, I did a battlefield promotion. For a comment that I received at extremetheology.com that I th- that I thought was wonderful because it shows the disconnect in what and how people define good works, and um, you know so Warren is apparently he it's let's hear the gospel to get ready for heaven. It, it, really, I don't think that there's any re- real evangelical out there 
that you know in in the old school definition sense of the word evangelical that their only focus was on let's get ready for heaven it, well, how do you get ready for heaven you die <laughs> you know you, so you know we're going to get ready for heaven by going and, and contracting cancer <laughs> you know no I, it, it, that's such it's a false definition of what evangelical says but but now it's let's make the world a better place and uh, Rick typifies this with his work in Africa and other places. Now, this is interesting. Um, I haven't confirmed this story. This morning when I was watching uh, the news, I, as I wake up, sometimes I, uh, I, I watch uh, one of the cable news channels to, uh, you know, to make sure that uh, – just to see what's going on. And I saw a, a news crawl regarding Rwanda and apparently there's some kind of a you know there's some upheaval going on in the country and things are kind of falling apart there in Rwanda and um which is kind of weird because you know Rick Warren uh has made Rwanda you know the first purpose driven nation whatever that means whatever what's a purpose driven nation i i have no idea but i don't think things are going as swimmingly as they have in the past and i think there's some uh, some turmoil and ethnic problems going on uh, that have reignited in Rwanda Anyway, it's uh, let's make the world a better place. Rick typifies this with his work in Africa and other pl- places. I think that the new administration coming in recognizes that. Phil Muncy, pastor of Life Church in Mission Viejo. Boy, I, I think I know who Phil Muncy is. I know this guy. I've, I've, I've been in the same room with him. Um, in Mission Viejo calls Warren the first conservative Christian to take on social values. It's the dawning of a new day, Muncie said, to see an African-American president and someone considered a liberal Democrat embracing a conservative Christian leader and to watch conservative Christian, uh, a Christian leader embracing the social issues of, a, of the Democratic agenda is just a new mix. So, okay, this is interesting. This is their spin on it. Okay, he's going to give an invocation and everyone's trying to figure out what it means. Well, from Newsmax, I read this. Liberals outraged over inaugural preacher. Okay, this isn't so. The story is is really convoluted. President elect Barack Obama triggered a liberal firestorm on Wednesday with the announcement that noted evangelical minister Rick Warren would deliver an invocation at his inauguration. So, the celebrity preacher at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, who hosted an important forum on faith with Obama and John McCain during the presidential campaign, is a best-selling author who fills stadiums with his sermons. While liberal partisans were up in arms, some political analysts described the move as brilliant, a gesture not only to white social conservatives, but an astute nod to the African-American and Latino communities, which are notably more conservative on religious and social issues than mainstream whites. Blacks especially play a key role in supporting Proposition 8, the recently passed bailout, a California ballot initiative that banned gay marriage in the state, and Warren and his church was also a leader in that effort. Uh, for Bo- Obama, making a statement about his inclusiveness and willingness to reach across ideological lines is more important than satisfying liberals on every issue, as he was shown with his cabinet choices, noted the, uh, the Swamp, the political blog for the uh, Chicago Tribune. So liberal outrage, the uh, Post continued, may help Obama w- with some centrist and more conservative voters. You see, this is interesting, okay? And, you know, I kind of noted that uh, for the past couple of weeks, Rick Warren has been uh, – trying to reach back out to conservative evangelicals although this move is going to upset some people and uh and i know it has and you know i'm not exactly torqued about it myself maybe i maybe i just need to you know go work myself up into a frenzy and and get mad about it i don't know but i'm watching this and more from a from a 
an observer point of view going the 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 interesting part of this story is is that he's getting shot at from everybody <laughs> you know but this is in keeping with Rick Warren's philosophy that he's neither right wing nor left wing left wing he's the whole bird right so this uh, this is keeping with his his you know thing but uh, folks let me ask you this question do you ha- i mean biblically biblically is is Rick Warren sinning or doing something wrong by offering a prayer you know, of invocation at Obama's inauguration. Okay. If you think so, send me an email and give me the biblical text and, and make your case. Okay. Um, you know, the scriptures admonish us to pray for our leaders. Okay. So that being the case, um, I'm, you know, is this, is, is, is he committing a sin? You know, or should, I mean, is it just because he's, He's giving an invocation to a man who is openly hostile to abortion. I mean, who's who's, who's uh, uh, to uh, sorry, Obama's uh, pro-abortion, but Obama's an abortionist. So, so we should not pray for presidents that that favor abortion, right? Um, it's um, yeah, I just. Uh, it's I, I just I don't maybe I'm am I missing something, John? I don't think so. No, just biblically, you know, I'm I'm not convinced at this moment, but I could be. You know, if somebody can make the biblical case that Rick Warren biblically should not be offering a, a prayer of invocation at the inauguration, we pray for our leaders at our in our congregation. Yeah, every Sunday. Yeah, you know. And uh, during the Clinton administration, you know, I I attended a Lutheran church, and part of the liturgy, you know, we pray for our political leaders on a on a on a Sunday by Sunday basis. We pray for the president. We pray for our Senate. We pray for our state legislator. We pray we pray for our elected officials that God would give them wisdom. We do it every single Sunday, regardless of who's in power. Should we only offer prayers for uh, you know for? conservative right-wing people or, or, or people who I, politically and ideologically uh, affirm the things that we affirm? I would say no. No. I mean, <sighs> I guess you get what I'm getting. You know, so here's the deal. Everyone's shooting at Rick Warren about this. And you know what? I, I'll make my prediction. He's going to come out on top again. This is the uh, second time in a week that you've defended Rick Warren, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm going to be attending Saddleback. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I basically I'll leave this open to you listeners. OK, now, I know some of you are probably going to be upset that he's that he's uh, that he's giving the invocation at Obama's inauguration. Some of you may not care. Some of you may uh, you know, may be excited that he's doing. It. I don't know. You know, I, I'm just looking at this. And my biblical radar isn't firing off. And I know that there's some other people that, you know, wh- whom, you know, I would consider to be brothers and sisters in Christ who are upset about it. But my question is, if we're going to really get bent out of shape about uh, Rick Warren giving the invocation at Obama's inauguration, on what biblical ground are we making our case that what he's doing is wrong? That would be my question. You know, there's... I mean, if if Rick Warren, it's not like Rick Warren is basically he's putting his stamp of approval on abortion by 
offering an invocation of uh, praying for the president. Right. And, you know, I quite, you know, frankly, I mean, I've I've already been praying for Obama. You know, that God would give him wisdom and he's he's my, he's going to be my president in, you know, in a few weeks. And and God's word tells me to pray for my for the leaders in the government. And the and scripture is clear that God sets up, you know, gives us leaders and he's you know, no one's in power if it, without God's approval. That doesn't mean that they're that necessarily that everything they do is right. In fact, there's some really good examples of some bad leaders. You know, I consider that to be a judgment on people. But still, we should be offering prayers on behalf of Barack Obama and any political leader who is is put into authority to make decisions. Pray that God would give them wisdom, give them strength, that they may govern, really ultimately govern in a way that honors God, right? So whether or not you agree with him ideologically, I, what's the great evil in offering a prayer for him? Or for anyone. Right. I mean, in that case, I mean, I'm already committing all kinds of sins by praying for Barack. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, we gotta, in fact, we got to tell our pastor to stop doing that, right? Anyway, so if – okay, so I know some of you might be disappointed in what you're hearing. Hey, you know, that – fine, send me the email. Show me biblically. Biblically, where what Rick Warren is doing is evil. Show me biblically that he can't do this. Now, it is a little weird that, you know, there's a little bit of a church and state thing going on here. Okay, a little bit of a mixing of the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left. And, you know, which, by the way, is completely all mixed up in the inauguration process. Anyway, we got a presidential leader putting his hand on the Bible and uh, swearing to uh, defend the Constitution. You know, <laughs> okay. So the the event itself is just all kind is all kinds of convoluted to begin with, right? You know, so help me God. And you know, if we were to elect a Hindu leader, you know, would uh, would the Hindu scriptures be uh, the thing he put his hand on? Will Barack Obama put his hand on the Bible and swear? You know, and again, are we supposed to even be doing that? I mean, there's all kinds of ways of skinning this cat. Wasn't there a mu- Muslim member of Congress from Michigan? Yeah. That's and right. I think he used the, the he used the Quran, Quran didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think, so. I, I think that's right. I think he did use the Quran. So, I, I bring this up. I bring up this news story only because I think it's very interesting. It's very interesting that that to read. You know, I read a lot of news on a daily basis. To read the news and see how he's being basically shot from both sides, and um, and again, my question is, if we're going to say what he's doing is sinful. If we're going to say that what he is doing is wrong, then by what authority, by what basis are we making that decision? Is it just because you don't like Barack Obama and his political ideology and, and Rick Warren's supposed to be a conservative Christian and he shouldn't be there? Well, show me he shouldn't be there. Maybe he shouldn't. I don't know. What do you think? Send me emails. I, I really want to get your take on this. And, uh, and talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. You can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, really, I'm curious to, to uh, get your input on this. But here's the deal. If you're going to claim that what he's doing is wrong, I want you to back it up biblically. Plain and simple. Show me that scriptures say thou shalt not or you should not, or whatever. Okay? Back it up biblically and make your case biblically. I don't want to hear that, you know, in, in, you know, because Barack Obama is pro-abortion, that automatically means we can't pray for him invocationally during his inauguration, right? 
now there may maybe there's something I'm missing, but uh, feel free to uh, to forward things along. All right, so we're gonna move on to the next story. Okay, um, <laughs> we're going to uh, talk about good works for a, a little bit of time here, and uh, I've actually taken some time to prepare some pretty in-depth stuff here. So, and what is it that brought this about? Well, um, somebody from Australia left a comment at my Extreme Theology blog and basically made the claim that I don't do any good works and that somehow I'm, I'm antithetical or, or, or I, I, I'm not promoting good works and somehow that this is something that's deficient in my theology. Okay. Now, this is the first time I've heard it, but the one thing I really liked about this this person's comment is that um, is that it really shows probably better than any comment I've ever received or, or challenge on this issue how deficient people's definition of good works is. Okay, and so um, I'm going to read uh, part of a comment that was left for me extremetheology.com. So I gave you this I gave this comment a battlefield promotion. And it's going to get a full-blown biblical treatment here yeah, because I think it needs to be done. And so the question is, you know, what is a good work? But we're going to put, frame this in this context. Listen to this uh, to this comment that was uh, made about me by this person who came to my blog. And I don't think he was being ornery or anything like that. I think he was he was giving his honest observation. I think that this was a very well-written – he wrote like four different comments. They were well-written. They were lucid. He's taking issue with my theology. He gave reasons for it. But – Ultimately, there's something very deficient in his con- in his in his definition of good works. And let me let me let me read this. Uh, he writes. He says, "I became familiar with your site a few months ago and have read almost everything that you've wrote. I've also listened to a few of your Fighting for the Faith podcasts in an effort to understand what would motivate a man to spend most of his waking hours looking for loopholes in other Christians' doctrines. Actually, um, I spend my waking hours defending the historic Christian faith. Okay." And basically doing the work of a Berean is what we're hearing biblical Christianity or is it not? That's really what I do. Okay. Um, he continues, since I couldn't understand why the problem with the man, that's me, I, why I have a problem. I tried to understand the man with a problem. Apparently I have a big problem. Okay. My details of your profile could be a little sketchy, but from what I can gather, it goes something like this. Now, this is a pretty good uh, – this is a pretty pr- – interesting profile he put together details he's gleaned from fighting for the faith he's deemed he's gleaned from my webs from my blogs and i would say he's probably got one insider source who's told him information personally about me but uh, that that's a uh, uh, that's a theory i'm working on um you know anyway because i know somebody who has uh, a, a a daughter in australia so and so I think that there's some kind of a connection there. Anyway, he says, uh, he says about you, he says, highly educated, mid to late 40s. Actually, I'm in my, I just turned 40. He says, uh, would like to uh, be a little thinner, but can live with it. Who likes his wine and beer? I do too. And possibly classic rock tunes. Oh, man. I, so far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah. Classic rock. Here's the classic rock. That's code talk for oldies but goodies. <laughs> and. You know, I remember my mom complaining about the fact that the songs from the 60s were being called oldies. I remember that. And uh, songs from the 50s and 60s. My mom was a big Elvis Presley fan when she was growing up. And she was complaining about the fact that, you know, that, you know, back in the 80s, they were talking about the oldies from the 50s and 60s. 
Well, now we've got oldies from the 80s. And uh, let's say that I grew up on Duran Duran, uh, <laughs> Simple Minds, Van Halen. Yeah. 70s Van Halen. Yes. Yeah, well, actually, Van Halen's early 80s. Early okay. 80s, and then you know they kind of peak out. Uh, in the mid '80s, and then you got uh, David Lee Roth, uh, you know, left. But what happened is, is that um, I didn't. I, I, the other, I really liked the Beatles. So do I. Man, I discovered the Beatles. I think sophomore year of high school, and went on a Beatles binge for a little bit of time. But I had all this kind of driven. I like Journey too. Journey, Foreigner, um, Se- seventy bands. Huh? Yeah, those were seventy bands. Uh, Sticks, Sticks, Kansas. Yes, yeah, some Kansas. Yeah. So that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, but what happens is when I was at a legalistic, uh, you know, Christian high school, I was told how evil I was that if I listened to that music. And so at that time, I, you know, I I actually for a stint, I gave up listening to secular music and went with uh, Petra, uh, Steve Taylor and um, what scant. Christian, Amy Grant, you know, that kind of stuff. Cause it Sorry. Made, it made me feel a lot ho- more holy. holy, but not really. I just, you know, anyway. So, I mean, that, I, so I, you know, I, I'm a little bit conflicted because my, you know, my legalistic younger years, there was, but secretly I loved <laughs> stuff that was playing on the radio. And I, and Duran Duran was really high on my list. You know, I was hungry like the wolf for a while. Anything man. with the driving beat. with the- Yeah. You know, the reflex. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so if that qualifies as classic rock, then, um, yeah, I... Guilty as charged. Yeah, guilty as charged. Anyways, he says, you're married with teenagers. One is about to go into the Navy, and and your daughter and one daughter doesn't like salads. Very true. Uh, change, you changed churches in 2007 and went from a contemporary-style church to a church where the pastors wear robes, uh, where symbolism matters, and they play the organ. That means I'm anti-modern. Uh, I climbed the corporate ladder. You climbed the corporate ladder with remarkable, immeasurable achievements, and is currently Vintegrity CEO, a job that is obviously demanding of one's time and energy. Yet, remarkably, Chris finds time to engage in lengthy apologetics and Bible exposition between three to four websites and radio program and a radio program on the side. Okay, so I would say that's a very good and accurate description of me. Okay, so from an outsider looking in, he you know that's a pretty good outline. All right, now this is where it gets interesting. He says, "I don't mean to overstate my case here, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out the between your profession and family obligations and the voluminous articles that you post and your podcast recordings, you wouldn't have time to mow your lawn, let alone do any works." As they say, the devil is in the details. Let me read that again. That uh, uh, between your your professional and family and ob- obligations and voluminous articles uh, that you post and your podcast recordings, you wouldn't have time to mow your lawn, let alone do any works. Okay, and so already this is we're starting. He's starting to show his colors as to what he how he defines a good work. As they say, the devil is in the details, and based on how you live. The most deductively valid conclusion I could come up with is that for you to preach and teach the importance of works would be counterintuitive. The concept is almost foreign to you because you don't live it, either because you can't or because you choose not to. That's not to say that you can't be involved vicariously via financial support or other means, but it's highly unlikely that your lifestyle's pace permits you to actively engage in any form of good works. As a result, I believe it comes through in the balance of your theology. Interesting, right? He basically just said that um, I 
don't do any good works. Is that true? Is Chris Rosebro completely devoid of good works? I would say that's that's not a correct statement. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're going to have to answer this biblically. Are we going to need our Bibles? Oh, we're going to need our Bibles. We will definitely need our Bibles. So what is a good work? Does Chris Roseboro not do any good works? Does his does his profession as the CEO of Integrity, as the podcaster or the radio program, Fighting for the Faith, the stuff I write on the internet, my, my, my time with my family, does all of this stuff that I do prevent me from doing good works? He forgot that you were teaching adult Sunday school. Oh, and, and I teach an adult Sunday school. Well, well, let's not talk about that. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's leave that out because I think people would obviously think that, well, maybe that could be a good work. But for the sake of argument, we're going to come back and we're going to answer the question, what is a good work? So, uh, yeah. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard so far today and tell me what a rotten person I am and how I don't commit, I don't do any good works at all. Email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. 
Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. And you are listening to Fighting for the Faith here on Pirate Christian Radio. And there's, we've, we've just got the charge. Somebody from Australia has come onto the Extreme Theology website and has accused me of doing no good works. None whatsoever. I do no good works. And uh, th- th- this, this comment left by this gentleman from uh, Australia has, uh, better than anything I've seen, really ex- it clearly shows the deficiency in people's theology when it comes to a, their doctrine of sanctification and what is a good work. So let me, let me, um, let me read the offending lines here. Uh, just, just kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the offend. <laughs> So the offending lines are, uh, listing all the things I do in my life, uh, he says, uh, between your professional and family obligations and voluminous articles that you post and your podcast recordings, you wouldn't have time to mow your lawn, let alone do any good works. And the other one that's, that, that kind of shows this is that um, he, he claims that uh, you know supporting good works is a foreign concept to me. Uh, because uh, you don't, he says, you don't live, you don't live it either because you can't or because you choose not to. That's not to say that you can't be involved vicariously via financial support. It's about the only way I, the only way I could, because I'm so busy between my family and my and my business obligations. The only way I can I can do any good works would then to do it vicariously via financial support or other means, but it's highly unlikely that your lifestyle's pace permits you to actively engage in any form of works. I have to defend you. You, uh, you, you, you don't you, have to. I mean, you have a very small lawn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> yes, I have a very small lawn, and uh, unfortunately, I don't mow it. So. <laughs> So I don't even mow my small lawn, <laughs> but you don't don't feel like you have to come running to my defense. So, so is it true that I don't do any good works? I would say that's wrong. Okay, well, you know he's right about all the things that I do. I mean, this is how I spend my life between my work and my podcasting and the articles I write and my family. That's how I spend my life. So I don't do any good works, and the only way I could do it at this point would be to vicariously do it via financial support. Okay. Well, is that right? No. Is is that is it true? Because I'm going to say this. I, I, I'll I'll make this claim. 
I bet that the majority of the people listening to this program, either on Pirate Christian Radio or via podcast, that um, the majority of them could relate to how busy I am in li- my life. And between their vocation, between their work and their career, um, and their family obligations, they don't have time to do any, quote, good works. But it, the problem here is, is that that definition of good works that would exclude family time and the things you do with your family and it would exclude your vocation is not biblical. It's not biblical at all. So we're going to have to take a look at this. What is a good work? How does the Bible define it? Now, I've done a program before on this, but, you know, of course, because my apparently I'm supposed to feel like my 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 <laughs> I've been wounded or something. You know, I've got to come to my. No, actually, I don't feel like I need to defend myself at all. Um in fact, to the person who wrote me, I don't really know his full his real name. I would basically say I'm saddened that his his div, his definition of good works is so, is so lacking biblical content that he doesn't see what a good work really is. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to I'm going to talk a little bit about what Luther says about good works, and I'm going to back it up from the Bible. So, you know, humor me for a second. I don't believe Luther is, you know, the, the writings of Luther are God's word. But I think Luther has a valid point, and I'll back it up from Scripture. So um, we read from the small called articles from the Augsburg, uh, not from the, from the Book of Concord, okay, from the Confessions of the Lutheran Church. Um, for as Dr. Luther writes in the preface to St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, so Paul, uh, R- Martin Luther writing in his preface to uh, St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans writes, quote, Faith is a divine work in us which changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different people in heart and in spirit and mind and all powers, and it brings with it the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, uh, so far, I'm completely in agreement with uh, Dr. Luther here. He says, Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it to, for it not to be doing good works incessantly. I agree with Luther. What, what, I think you can summarize Luther's position, and I think Luther's position is the biblical position. Faith alone saves. Saving faith is never alone. How can it be? Okay, so we continue reading uh, from Luther. If it, the, it, it does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them, and it is constantly doing them. Whatever does, whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever who gropes and looks around for faith in good works, but knows neither what faith is or nor what good works are. Yet such a person talks and talks with many words about faith in good works. Faith is a living daring confidence in God's grace. And it's so sure and certain that the believer would stake life itself on it a thousand times. This knowledge of and confidence in God's grace makes people glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and with all creatures. And this is the work which the Holy Spirit performs in faith because of it without compulsion, a person is ready and glad to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything out of love and praise to God who has shown this grace. Thus, it is impossible to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as to separate heat and light from fire. 
That's a great quote. And I agree with it 100%. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I incessantly say that if you want to produce good works in people, you preach repentance and faith because the good works will follow that. Like a caboose on a train. Yeah, or like Luther said, you know, like heat and light from fire. You can't separate heat and light from fire. That'd be ridiculous. You can't. In the same way, you can't separate good works from faith. Somebody who truly trusts in Christ, has faith in Christ, they can't help but produce good works. So what is a good work? That's the question. What is a good work? Okay. So if, if, if my position is, and it, and it is, that true saving faith produces good works, or as James says, you know, we Lutherans aren't supposed to quote James. <laughs> <clears throat> Apparently, there's some kind of a memo that circulated right around the time of the Reformation that basically says you can't quote James. But James had it right. He says, just as the body that is not breathing is dead, so faith without works is dead. Okay, so the Lutheran position is, is that faith and works, they go hand in hand. You can't separate the two of them. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never, ever, ever alone. Preach for faith. The works will, will actually follow. They can't, you can't help but do that. But what is a good work? All right, here's some more Luther. And we'll have some vocabulary words along the way. <clears throat> Here we go, right? Luther on vocation and good works. This is Luther. He says, we need not learn in the papacy... We, he says, we did not learn in the papacy or in Roman Catholicism what constitutes a good work. Before the gospel came, we were told that, that the works which we ourselves devised and chose were good works. Okay? Such works as making a pilgrimage to St. James or some other place, giving money to the monks in the cloisters for the reading of many masses, burning candles, fasting with but bread and water, praying a certain number of rosaries, etc., but now that the gospel has come, we preach thus. Good works are not those which we choose of ourselves, but those which God has commanded, those which our vocation calls for. A servant does good works when he fears God, believes in Christ, and obeys his master. First he is justified by faith in Christ, then he walks in faith, leads a godly life, is temperate and well-behaved, serves his neighbor, cleanses the stables, feeds the horses, etc. In performing such tasks, he does better works than any Carthusian monk. Let me, let me, in other words, Luther just said that a guy cleaning the stables, a stable boy, shoveling manure, has done a better work than a Carthusian monk. And what is a Carthusian monk? Well, I know you asking that question. What's a Carthusian monk? I happened to look that one up. I actually went onto the website for the Carthusian order. There are Carthusian monks to this day. Listen to this. <clears throat> what is the meaning of a Carthusian monk? Among the religious families, there are those like the Benedictines and the uh, Cistercians who live more in community. Others live in greater solitude. Um, uh, uh, Kamaldulites and Carthusians being the latter. 
The monks and nuns of the Carthusian order, while living separately in their own monasteries, share the same rule and follow a unique model in the person of their founding father, who was St. Bruno. The Carthusian does not live alone as the Christian monast- as the Carthusian monastery is a community, but nevertheless, he will pass the greater part of his life in his cell where he prays, works, takes his meals and sleeps, and during the course of the week, he only leaves three times a day for offices and communal mass in the middle of the night, the night office, the morning Eucharist, and vespers toward the night. The Carthusian can be a cloistered monk or a brother, two different ways of living the same vocation of solitude, and solitude is not lived for its own sake, but as a privileged means of attaining intimacy with God. Okay, now I want you to consider this. The Carthusian monk spends most of his day locked up in a cell in solitude so that he can have the privilege of a more intimate relationship with God. Praying. Yeah. Now, I know this sounds great, but the reality is is that somebody's got to support this guy. Since he's not being productive in society, the, the Carthusian order needs people to send them money in order so they can sit around and do nothing in their cells all day long, except for pray. Right? Yeah. Okay. Luther says that a stable boy cleaning the stables has done more good works than a Carthusian monk. I agree. Okay. We're answering the question, what is a good work? We continue with Luther now. For since he is baptized, this is the stable boy, he, he, since he is baptized, believes in Christ, and is assured hope is waiting for eternal life, he goes on and obeys his master and knows that what he does in his calling pleases God. Therefore, everything that he does in his occupation is a good and precious work. It does not look like a great fine work when he rides out on the fields, drives to the mill, etc., but since he has God's command and directive for it, such works mean that they that they seem are nothing else than good works and a service rendered to the Lord. Okay? So how do we know what, you know, what is a good work? We have to look to what God's word says a good work is. And according to Luther, we have a sure and certain word from God that doing our vocation, our daily work as unto the Lord is a good work. Okay. And I'll, I'll back this up with scripture here in a minute. In like manner, also a maidservant does good works when she performs her calling in faith. When she obeys her mistress, sweeps the house, washes and cooks in the kitchen, etc., Though these works are not as glamorous as the works of the Carthusian monk who hides behind a mask and has people gaping at him, still such such works are much better and more precious before God than those of the Carthusian who uh, wears a hair shirt, keeps his vigils, gets up at night and chants for five hours, eats no meat, etc. He does them without God's command and order. Now that's the difference. There's no order in there. There are no clear commands from God to lock ourselves up in cloisters, live in a cell and uh, and live the life of our Carthusian monk. There's nothing in the in the scripture that tells us to do anything or that any such things are good works. Right. So how can we say that the Carthusian monk is actually performing a good work? You can't. Okay. Okay. so he does them without God's command and order. Um, the Carthusian monk does them without God's command and order. How can they please God? Likewise, when a burger or a farmer helps his neighbor, warns him of the danger threatening his body, wife, child, servant, cattle, and goods, etc., such works do not make a great show, but they are nevertheless good and precious works. 
When the civil government punishes the wicked and protects the virtuous, when citizens yield obedience to the government and do so from faith and the hope of eternal life, they are performing good works. Though they do not shine and glitter in the sight of reason, if you ask reason, the works of a servant, a maid, a master, a mistress, a mayor, and a judge are common, lowly works compared with the Carthusian monks, his keeping vigils, fasting, praying, abstaining from meat. But if you ask God's word, the works of the Carthusians and all monks melted together in one mass are not as good as the work of a single poor servant maid who by baptism has been brought into the kingdom of God, believes in Christ, and in faith is looking for the blessed hope. These two articles St. Paul would keep alive among Christians, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has called us by baptism and, and the gospel as heirs of eternal life, waiting for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the knowledge that everything we do in our Christian calling and station by faith is altogether a good and precious work, on which account we should be zealous unto good works." Now, therefore, since we have heard what blessed hope we should look for, we should also learn that the works which we do by faith in our appointed calling, according to God's command and order, are good works. Okay? Though such works do not glitter in the sight of reason, they are nevertheless precious before God. While the Carthusian and the monk cannot see and understand these things. For example, I am a preacher. That is my office. If now I believe in Christ and look for the blessed hope and then go and tend to my preaching and perform my calling, even though men hold my office in low esteem, I would not trade my office for all the works that all the monks and nuns do in a cloister. Likewise, also, that wife is a living saint who believes in Christ, looks for the blessed hope and appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in such faith goes and does what belongs to her calling of the wife. As reason knows nothing of the blessed hope of eternal life, so too it does not understand what constitutes truly good works. It reasons thus, this maid milks the cow, this farmer plows the field, they are performing common, lowly works, which also the heathen perform. How then can they be good works? But this man becomes a monk, this woman a nun, and they look sour and put on a cow, wear a rough garment. These are exceptional works, they are not performed by the common people, therefore they must be good. Thus reason argues, thus reason leads us away from the true knowledge of both the blessed hope and the good works. Luther's writings abound in such presentations. Okay. So what's a good work? Well, Luther made the case that uh, first and foremost, God's word is the only authority by which we can know with any certainty what a good work is. Right? I'd agree. Okay. So if God doesn't know what a good work is, then ain't nobody knows what a good work is. Right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So... The question before us now, now that Luther had, you know, I've brought Luther to bear, you know, you know, had to drag him out of his you know, crypt and bring him into this conversation. Right. Um, the question is, does does Luther have it right? <laughs> you have a picture of Luther's grave. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> uh, uh, Luther stat Wittenberg. OK, wow. I didn't expect that. <laughs> John just handed me a picture, a postcard picture of uh, Luther's grave. <laughs> OK. In Wittenberg. Wow. <laughs> Uh, you distract me. <laughs> All right. So what is a good work? Okay. God's word alone dictates what a good work is. Okay. Now, if God's word says that standing in place 
naked and waving chicken feathers up in the air and saying hoopwa hoopwa if the god's word says that that's a good work then we would be doing that right yes much to the consternation of a lot of people believe me i i would get a, i would be arrested if i ever did that okay uh, in the same way if god's word said you know that going to the seashore and saving starfish is a good work we would do that too right i'd save sea stars though sea stars yeah they're not fish they're not star starfish. Are not starfish. No, they're they're, sea, not, they're sea stars. They're sea stars. Yeah. Thank you for fi- filling me in on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if if God's word says that's a good work, then that would be a good work, right? Save the sea stars. Right on. Okay. So the question is, what does God's word say a good work is? That's the question. All right. Open your Bibles. Bible time. First Thessalonians chapter four. We'll start in verse nine. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Paul, writing to the Thessalonian church, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And reason would go, what? <laughs> Wait a second. Paul is encouraging the, the Thessalonians here to grow in their brotherly love towards each other. That's what the passage says, right? Grow in your brotherly love. You know, you know, and to, you know, and, 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 and then the way you do that is by minding your own affairs and working with your hands. So that you may be dependent on no one. That's what it says. It's a, it, for the person who's looking for these magnanimous, earth-shattering, good works that are going to change the world. Right? This is a complete letdown. What's the good work that's listed here? Get a job. And take care of yourself so you're not dependent on somebody. But that's what it says. <laughs> so I think we could rightly conclude that this passage says that you're having a job in your career, working worked with your hands so that you're not dependent on anyone, that's a good work. Is it not? Yes, yes. I think that's what the passage says. But I'll bring some more into it. So basically, folks, what what is one good work? What One example. I'm only giving the starting off with one. A good example of a good work? Get a job care for yourself husbands go get a job get a career make it so that you're not dependent on other people work with your hands that's a good work right yes all right just want to make sure i got that now all right um ephesians chapter five we're gonna we're gonna read a lot of chapter five and chapter six here okay now, I want to point something out, okay? We're, we're doing what I hate doing, but we're, we're, you know, I'm not preaching a sermon. And that is, is that we're looking at the tail end of these uh, epistles. I want to make something clear. Ephesians gives, in the opening chapters of the book of Ephesians, we get a clear, wonderful presentation of the gospel. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ's work alone. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, and not a result of work, so that no one can boast. 
Verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beautiful stuff. So good works flow from the gospel, and God is the one who prepared us to do good works, right? That's right. That's what it says, okay? So then, you know, with that wonderful gospel presentation, faith set, setting its sight on Jesus Christ and his crucifixion for our sins, Paul then tells us a little bit more about what good works look like. Here's what it says. Look carefully then how you walk. In light of the gospel, look carefully at then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord, the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so verse 18, would you say that Living a sober life is a good is a good work. Looks like it. Yeah, I think that that qualifies as a good work. Okay, um, nineteen. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay, so um, singing and you know praises and me- making melodies to the Lord would that qualify as a good work? Yes. Okay. All right. Giving thanks always for everything that, uh, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is that is that uh, a good work? Yes. Okay. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How about that? Would that be a good work? Yeah. So it sounds like going to church. Yeah. Well, is, yeah. Is Go, a good going work. to church, going to church would be a good work. Okay. Thank God I do that from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> now here's the important thing, folks. Our good works don't merit God's favor. Okay. No, we do them. We we, we do good works because we can't help it. <laughs> we can't help but do good works. If you truly have faith in Christ, how could you not do good works? I mean. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Okay, now, v- verse 22. This is going to, <clears throat> this might irk some people, but here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So a wife who is submissive to her husband as to the Lord, is that a good work? Yes. So being a good wife is a good work. Yes. Okay. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So a submissive reverential wife who submits to her husband as to the Lord being a good Christian wife. That's a good work. Yes. Okay. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies and he who loves his wife loves himself. Okay. So being a good husband, a good Christian husband, somebody who loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Is that a good work? Yes. Okay. Any mention here about standing for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, or anything? Those can be good works. Yes. But um, I want to make sure we've got a complete definition of good works here that includes these things. Now, all right. So being so being a good, basically living a sober life is a good work. Going to church, singing and praising to the Lord, and praying and giving thanksgiving is a good work, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, being a being a Christian, good Christian wife is a good work. Being a good Christian husband is a good work. Okay. Um, same way husband should. Okay. All right. Now, now because we are. Okay. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ is a church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
So being a respectful, submissive wife and a loving, caring, sacrificial husband is a good work. All right, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, so an obedient child, a child who's obe- who's respecting and honoring and obeying their parents. Good, good work. work. Yeah. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so being a good father, that's uh, uh, good, good work. work. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> this one is a little bit challenging. We have to... Next one, we have to interpret this in light of our current circumstances. Here we go. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Okay, so... No, we're not. Um, I'm not a slave. You're not a slave. Okay, but uh, many people are employees, right? So uh, and I think this this counts. You, I think it doesn't do violence to the passage at all to say something like this: employees obey your bosses or your your supervisors with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service. With a with a good will as to the Lord, I think that doesn't destroy the verse at all. In fact, I think that's a beautiful application for today. So, being a good employee, good work. Good work. Yeah. All right, masters. Now, talking about slaves and masters, let's say employers or managers or supervisors. Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their uh, master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So, being a good employer or a godly employer, good, good work. work. Yeah. Okay. That stereo thing's working pretty good. Yeah, I think so. First <clears throat> uh, Thessalonians four. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Okay, I'm in. Okay, so I, I switched to First Thessalonians. Sorry. You know what? I'm going to take a break. We can take a break, and we're going to come back, and we'll pick up First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, chapter four. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, there's more passages that we're going to bring to bear because we're going to do a little bit more complete thing. I think you're kind of starting to get a picture. What the, what do these good works look like? Well, it looks like being a good mom, being a good dad, being an obedient child, being a good employee, being a good employer. Um. So you know, we'll we'll come back and we'll talk more about it. But uh, we're going to go into our second break, and we come back, we'll finish up this topic biblically looking at what is a good work and if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far you can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com talkback at fightingforthefaith.com and we will be right back If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. 
right, enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the Whitehorse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. the question with uh, much biblical depth and we even drug Luther into this you know what is a good work what is a good work you're listening to Fighting for the Faith and I am Chris Rosebro and I am your servant in Jesus Christ there's a reason why I say those words and this really comes back to this doctrine the doctrine of what a good work is all right, so uh, we've been talking about biblically what is a good work, and so far we've learned from uh, Ephesians, um, from the book of Ephesians, chapters 5 and 6, that uh, good works, well, it looks a lot like um, being an obedient child, living a sober life, working with your hands. We learned that from First Thessalonians chapter 4, you know, working quietly with your hands, taking care of yourself so you're not dependent on anyone being a good employee, being a good employer, being a good father, being a good mother, being a good husband. That's what the New Testament outlines as, get this, good works. So you want to change the world? You do so one poopy diaper at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Think about it. Who's going to change poopy diapers? Can a baby change their own diapers? No, they can't. No, they really need somebody to serve them. They're kind of a... uh... I need to be served machine. Right. Can children just raise themselves? No. They need somebody to lovingly, in service to them, raise them and instruct them and care for them and all that kind of stuff. That, that, I, and here's something good. Here's some good news. These are the good works that God has given us to do. These aren't made up good works. You know, like you know, waving chicken feathers while dancing naked around oak trees. That doesn't exist in the Bible. That's not a good work. Good thing. Thank God. Yeah, we've talked about that. Okay, let me go back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 now, okay? Starting in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. 
that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So here we go. Paul talking about how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God, just as you're doing so that you do so more and more. So do it more and more. And by the way, that's the thing about it. Good works, they're contagious. They're wonderful. They're great. And if you truly are trusting in Christ and you have faith in him and you're looking for the blessed hope of the resurrection based upon Christ's forgiveness of your sins and you know that you are in him, then you can't help but do these good works and do them more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. Are you paying attention? Here, That's the important. This is the will of God. Are you ready? Here it is. That you go to Calcutta and that you open up an orphanage. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. Okay, not that that's a bad work. I'm not knocking it. But that's not how the Bible de- defines necessarily what a good work is. It does it in even more simple ways for this is the will of god your sanctification you ready that you abstain from sexual immorality so in other words if you are a chaste uh, single or if you are faithful to your spouse sexually this this is a good work that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor so self-control is that a good work looks like okay not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives us his holy, gives his holy spirit to you. So chastity, leading a, a sexually pure life, is a good work. Um... You see what I'm saying here? Okay, let me let me flip over to Col- Colossians. Okay, and I'm, this is going to be a great example of how these epistles that Paul writes, the gospel flows in. You know, the good works flow from the gospel, and so I'm going to start in chapter two, which gives some really good gospel, and watch how he transitions into the good works that are talked about in chapter three. So Colossians chapter two, starting in verse one, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ... The full, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcised, decision of your flesh god has made you alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them 
in him. That's some great gospel, isn't it? Notice that Paul's preaching the gospel to Christians. Yes. Yeah. Again, preach for faith. Preach for repentance and faith and the forgiveness of sins and the and the good works that flow from that faith. The, the, the good works will come because you will be transformed from a goat into a sheep, from dead to alive, to an unbeliever into somebody who trusts in Christ and your focus is on Christ. Good works cannot help but flow from that, right? So um, Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that are to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Asceticism, you can translate that as monkery if you want to, you know, or the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together and through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died, excuse me, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, you can sit in a Carthusian monk cell wearing a hair garment you know, to agitate your skin or stay up all night long and have an all night long prayer vigil and and but that's not going to do anything it has no value in uh, conquering the flesh none those aren't really even good works so there we go we've got chapter 2 great gospel defending salvation by grace through faith and not by works but watch this these are the good works that then flow from faith chapter 3 paul writes If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then he will also appear. You will also appear with him in glory. So where do we set our minds? Set our minds on the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. Okay, and the hope of glory that is in him, the forgiveness of sins and 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 know that when he appears, you are going to appear with him in glory. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. so Paul, then here's comes the good works part. So therefore, if you have this faith and you know these things put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality. So you want to know what you put put that to death. What's a good work? Sexual chastity impurity passion so the the bad things are you put to death sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry okay and on account of these the wrath is coming in these you two once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away put away anger wrath malice slander obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator so those that's the negative list but you could do you know so the opposite of sexual immorality is sexual chastity the opposite of impurity is purity you know passion uh, it would be self control evil desires would be good desires covetousness you know and idolatry are bad you know instead be content these are what good works are, right? Okay. 
So Paul's using kind of a negative way of that. Lying is a bad work. Telling the truth is a good work. Okay. All right. Having the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. Here, there is no Greek, no Jew, and circumcised and uncircumcised, bar- barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is in is, is all and is in all. So put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So here's some, here, you want these, these, you want to know what good works look like? Having a compassionate heart, being kind, humble, meek, and patient. Would you th- qualify those as good works? Yeah. All right. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So forgiving other people who've wronged you, is that is that a good work? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Okay? What if you have a hard time doing these? Now, this is a great question. John asks a great question. This is a theological question. John, ask it uh, into the microphone. Well, what happens if you have a hard time doing these things, these laws? Right. Okay. Now, this is a great question. What if you have a hard time? Well, here's the deal. What's the state of a Christian? Well, forgiveness. Well, yeah, we're forgiven in Christ. Christ. Okay. So now. We're sinners. We are declared righteous. Right. We have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We've been transformed, given a new heart, raised from the dead, gone from being a goat to a sheep. And all of this is imperfect now, right? Right, because we're still sinners. Right. We're simul justus at peccator. We're simultaneously justified and still sinners at the same time. And Paul, if, if we didn't sin and struggle with these things, then it would make no sense for Paul to write us to encourage us in these things, would it? Yeah, and even they talk about the baptism mm-hmm. in, in uh, I think it's in verse 3. Right. So here's the deal. Raised with Christ. Right. By buried and raised yeah, with Christ. Buried, raised, we're, we're all of these things. So the, the Christian life is a continual walking out of repentance. And what are the three uses of the law? Okay. The first use of the law is to basically keep us from beating up on each other and stealing everybody's stuff. Okay. That's the, you know, that's kind of the general use of the law that we use here in, in, you know, in legal terms regarding the laws of the land. Right. Right. The second use is the primary use. The the second use of the law, the primary use of the law shows, uh, shows us, exposes our sin. Right. But the third use of the law, the third use shows us what a good work is. Okay. Now here's the deal. Anytime you read a list like this, people are going to go, because, oh, you know, oh, I don't do that. Oh, I shouldn't. And so what happens is, is that I can't dial in for you what the law is going to do. I can't. Okay. For some of you, the law is going to condemn you of your sin and drive you to your knees in some cases where you're going to go, oh man, I've got to repent for that. I can't believe I've been doing that. I, this is terrible. And others of you will say, yeah, I want to do that. Okay, but I can't decide you know, for the Holy Spirit how, you're, how your ears are going to hear it. So when you're hearing these lists, if you're not living up to it, I got news for you, neither am I. But we should encourage each other in good works. And, what, and what's a good work? Well, this is what good works looks like. And here's the good news. These flow through, the, through faith. These come by faith. God produces these these in us, okay, because we are transformed. We don't do these in gratitude. We do these because we're different. We do these because our, we have a changed nature, and we and we in this earth have the now and not yet thing going on, 
You are now truly justified in Christ and you are a saint created in Christ's image and uh, you haven't yet been raised from the dead and given a new body. So you will walk out the Christian life on your knees on a daily basis in repentance. Okay? You want a faith that's active in love? This is what this looks like. Okay? Being humble and kind and meek and patient, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Right? We continue. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Sounds a lot like Ephesians, doesn't it? And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do in word or do, do everything in the name of the Lord. Here we go again. Ready? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Being a good uh, wife, good is a good work. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Good work? Yes. Yeah. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Good work Good again. work, yeah. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Being a good father is a good work. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Notice the redundancy here. Okay? Um, You know, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So working for the Lord and whatever you do, is that a good work? Yes. Okay. Knowing that you are from the Lord and you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly, fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Good work? Yeah. Yeah. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in, uh, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. Okay. So there we go. You want to know what this all looks like? What are good works? What we do. It's what you do. And you and someone's got, you know I remember I was I was at the Evolve conference last year. Or was it this year? This it's year. it's there 2008, yeah. I'm getting old. <laughs> at the Evolve conference, I was having dinner with some of the pastors there from the Evolve conference. We were at uh, Chili's, I think. And um and you know, we I got into a conversation with one of these guys, and he's a Baptist minister who's at a seeker-sensitive church that he's that he's planted. And you know, I challenged him. I said, "What is a good work?" And he, you know, he goes, "Well, I, he kind of stumbled." That. I said, "I'll tell you what a good work is: doing your career, being a good husband, being a good wife." And he literally looked at me and says, "Those can't possibly be good works because everybody already does those, right? You know, the pagans even do that." But see, the thing is, is that the pagans don't have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here's the deal. If you trust in Christ, what is your good work? It's the vocation that you do. Here's the, I am so thankful for farmers. If, the, if they didn't do their godly work, I wouldn't be eating. You know? If mothers weren't doing their work, there would be a lot of poopy kids running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a scary thought. And diaper makers and plumbers. Right. <laughs> We think I, you know what? A good work looks like one of those Richard Scarry's Busy Town books. That's a great example. <coughs> I remember reading you know, to my kids these Busy Town books, and what is Busy Town? Busy, you know, it's a great. It, these are great. I mean, they show the firemen, they show the plumbers, they show they they show the policemen, the baker, the banker. 
the the candlestick maker. You know, it, it that's what what a good works look like. It looks like busy town, right? But here's the deal: without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the terrible thing is, is that the work that God has called unbelievers to, they're not good works because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But those of us who trust and have faith in Christ. The work that we do in our vocations, the work that God has put us into as mother, as father, as, as, as business person, as name whatever it is that you do, those are good works, especially if you do them for the Lord. And how could you not be doing them, right? So I come back to uh, this gentleman from Australia, and he says that um, between your professional family and obligations and the v- voluminous articles that you post and your podcast recordings, you wouldn't have time to mow your lawn, let alone do any good works. So when you see your kids in a swim meet, that's a good work. Yeah, it's a good work. Exactly. Sitting there, you know, at the side of the pool going, you can do it. Keep going. Keep, you know, kick your legs. Go faster. (laughs) Good work. Yeah, good work. All right. So, you know, my point to him and, uh, yeah, and in fact, I, I wrote him and uh, re- it acknowledged him. I said, let me summarize the passages. And the, I gave him some of these passages that, that these passages by saying that being obedient, uh, being a, an obedient and respectful child is a good work. Being a good father is a good work. Being a good employee and working as unto the Lord is a good work. Being a good employer is a good work. I could list many more passages of scripture that say that being a good mom is a good work. Being a good wife is a good work. Being a good husband is a good work, etc. Are you getting the picture? The second commandment tells us to love and serve our neighbor. I serve my neighbor by serving my wife, by being a good husband, by serving my children, by being a good father, by serving my customers through the services that my company offers, by providing jobs for my employees. Oh, and from time to time, I even have the privilege of serving my neighbor by teaching the word of God. I don't have vicarious good works. My life is filled with a bountiful harvest of good works, and I am always looking for greater ways to serve my neighbors through the gifts and provisions that God has given me because I'm never satisfied with the good works that I am doing, and I want to do even more. And the joy that this brings to my life cannot be measured. I am truly a a blessed man. I think it's truly sad that your definition of good works causes you to miss what good works truly are. If you better understood the biblical definition of good works, you would have never said of me, it is highly unlikely that your lifestyle's pace permits you to actively engage in any form of works. In fact, the litany of the things that I do that you listed off as evidence against me are actually the very fruits and good works that God is producing in my life. Interesting. And that's the thing, is that if you have such a narrow definition of good works that it, it, you can't see what a true good work is, then you, you have a distorted view. And this what does this come from? It comes from um, a lack of understanding of what the Bible teaches. It comes from a doctrine of sanctification that's deficient and man-centered and a belief that somehow the way you produce good works, what is a good work in his mind? Would it only be limited to somebody who feeds the poor or somebody who does work at a church? You know, what is it? What would a good work in his mind be? You know, I can't answer it, but... I can tell you when I was an evangelical, I lived a lot on, I had to pack my bags because I was going on a guilt trip all the time, you know, but, um, you know, anyway, there you have it. That's the biblical view of a good work. So do you think I have good works? 
Oh, yes. Do you think I have good works? John, I think you have incredible good works. Love the work that you do. So there it is. And it's humble, and I can't help but do it, man. I want to do it more and more and more. How can I not do these good works? And it flows from faith. It flows from it, man. You know, it's, you know, heat and light and fire. They all go together. Faith and good works, they go together, man. So preach for faith. Preach for repentance and faith and encourage people in good works. And what are the good works? They're doing it already. So what happens is we don't need to beat people over the head when they come to church on Sunday. You're not doing enough good works. Are you kidding? They come to church to rest, right? Remember the Sabbath rest? Remember that concept? Come to church to sit at the feet of Christ and receive his word and his sacraments and rest. Rest from their work. Rest from their good works and receive from God, you know, as opposed to go to church so that I can, I have to do more because the things I'm doing on a daily basis, they count for nothing. That's a terrible way of living. Terrible way of living. But I'm thankful for those people that volunteer at church. Yeah, but you don't have to volunteer at church in order to be doing a good work. But I'm thankful for the people that do that work. Very thankful, you know, but that's not what a good work is limited to. So it's a good work is not limited to going and making the world a better place, limiting your, you know, lowering your carbon footprint or, you know, standing for the oppressed. Now, standing for the oppressed is an important thing, and I think Christianity played an important role in you know, overcoming some very significant oppressors in history, like slavery. Okay, and I, I'm I'm happy for the Christians that are you know that are putting their faith into action by combating slavery in Africa right now as we speak. You know, you think about Sudan. Sudan, the the country of Sudan, is a place where slavery still exists. And I'm happy for the Christians who are standing for the poor and take, you know, and, and helping to meet their needs, giving them you know, things like that. Those are important, too. But that good works are not just limited to those things. They're not. I recommend that people care for the poor, stand for the oppressed. Yeah, we should. We must. How can we not? But understand, that's not the only way good works are performed. In fact, most good works are done in the mundane to the point where you wouldn't even see them for what they were, right? Anyway, you know what? Here's the deal. We're, we're an hour and 30 minutes into the program, and if I were to start the sermon review t- today, this we wouldn't even get through it. And so uh, what we'll do is we'll pick we'll do the sermon review tomorrow from uh, Chris Onkson on uh, a financial U-turn. Not a good one. It's not a good sermon. But anyway, we'll do that tomorrow, and we'll we'll leave it off at this point. So if you would like to email me and uh, let me know that none of the good works that I've listed, being a good father, being a good mother, being a good child, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good employee or master, anything like that, really counts for a hill of beans and that those cannot possibly be good works, email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until tomorrow. God bless you.